You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 217. I'm your host, Andreas Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin, Claire Crowley-Kringenberg, and Pontus Beckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Добрый день! Hey, son, hey, son! Way! Woo! <laughs> Claire, Claire is back! That's a long time! Yeah! Hey, guys! Long time no see! <laughs> hey, welcome back! Thank you! Yes, it's always great to have you on. Yeah. Um... Plus, Yelena must be especially happy because we have a much better gender balance on the show now than usual. <laughs> well, I, I feel better about that too, actually. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I feel that both of you guys have a very powerful inner woman anyway, so I think it's finally balanced. Finally, somebody recognized that in me. I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time for me, though, to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I've got three sisters, so I got I've got myself covered. Hmm. Anyhow, greetings from Orbanistan, guys. Oh yeah, yeah. very good. Hey. Oh Orbanistan. God. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Andras, it's even become a Swedish uh, word now. What? Orbanizing. No way. I read it in the paper that Hungary has been urbanized now. So urbanized. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm hoping at some point we're gonna get disorbanized as well. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope so too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Social distancing for Orban, yeah. Yeah. So what happened to us was that our prime minister got super like uh influenced uh, and impressed by what Orban did. So he had the minister of uh defense come up with a similar idea to a similar proposal Fuck and me. everyone went, you know, through the roof crazy. So 12 hours later The prime minister said, oh, I did not know about this. I had nothing to do with this. This was, you know, proposed without any of my knowledge. Oh, oh. did he even fire the minister of defense or? Not yet, but it, it's possible to happen. Wow. Oh, Jesus. It's so great to finally find a scapegoat for himself. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, unfortunately, these two guys, uh, Bobish and, and Orban, they are in uh, in very good terms. Uh, they're often re being referred to as friends, oh. even. Well, Orban doesn't have too many friends nowadays, so I, maybe we should give him that one. <laughs> yeah. For those of our listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, well, what we're talking about is that uh, recently, my country's prime minister, Viktor Orban, got basically the kind of power that no one should get. And uh, that is an unrestricted power in terms of... Of, uh, time limitations and also he basically can do anything because he's going to be governing uh, the country completely by decree mm. so there's not going to be anything stopping him from doing anything and uh, there are a couple of very alarming things to to, to talk about as well uh, with regards to this because uh, On one hand, when we talk about this as skeptics, it, it sounds good that uh, the government stated that if someone dares uh, publish uh, misinformation about the disease, the COVID-19 pandemic, and by that hinders the actions that the government takes, they can end up in jail for up to about five years. But the problem is that it's so vaguely... Uh, worded the that that clause in the 
the the actual law that was passed by the parliament yeah that uh, if the government decides that uh, me criticizing them for their inaction about covid-19 uh, hinders their efforts and uh, it can potentially cause uh, some alarm in the general public then they can shove me into jail Hmm. So better finish this episode soon then so we get it fixed oh, before yeah, yeah, yeah. you're arrested. <laughs> also, this was ostensibly to fight COVID-19, right? That's the pretext where this yes. happened. Yes, of course, that is a pretext. But I know that uh, Claire, you posted about on uh, Facebook, the first decision I think he took was yeah. absolutely against COVID-19 or not. Oh yeah, yeah, it was it was part of his first uh, like decree. It was in a package of a de- of decisions of how to handle COVID, and it included no longer recognizing trans people. Yeah, which has a lot to do with COVID. <laughs> well, just a just a little bit of correction to that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't part of uh, one of his decrees, so it was still uh, put in front of the parliament. It hasn't been passed yet. Oh, because the parliament is not in session now. And it was proposed by not himself, but his vice. Um, yeah, the, 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 it was a deputy PM who who proposed that package ah, okay. and put it in front of the parliament. So it's not part of the decree package that uh, that we expect to see in the next couple of days. Ah, okay. So uh, yeah, and you have to know about that guy, the the deputy prime minister. He's a bigot. He's like an a complete idiot and he's the leader of the Christian party. Well, okay. It's called the Christian Democrats, but it's basically a non-existent party, but they all bring the religious voters to the table. So Right. So so about this uh, so this is still to be passed by parliament. Will it pass, do you think? The law that made him made him um all powerful it has been passed but yeah, the yeah. trans thing has not been passed yet do you think it will uh, be by the t- I, I don't know i don't mm-hmm. know because now we don't know when and how the parliament is in session because it's uh basically all up to orban now wow some people even go as far as to say that uh the parliament might not be again in session until the end of the year mm-hmm. And the other thing is that uh, some, especially foreign commentators, they tend to see the menace in Orban getting all this power and uh, basically uh, being able to to, uh, govern by decree. But the problem is not that. The problem is that he will get stronger as a result of this uh, in the long run. Mm. So it's all the same for him, because even with the parliament, a two-thirds majority is what he has. So he basically has no control over him anyway. Mm. But now he doesn't have any hindrance to his power either. Hmm. Uh, No debates. He doesn't need to to reason uh, in favor of anything. But when all this crisis is over and he will hand the power back to the parliament, he's going to be posing as the greatest defender of democracy. Mm. Yeah. And he will be able to sell it yeah. Yeah. as such. Wow. Yeah. And the EU leaders, the other EU leaders, will not be able to control him. And that's the worry. That's that's even our worry as well. Blah. But enough said about Orban. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we need to be social social distancing, right? I don't I don't uh, really like this word, by the way. Actually, I don't. No, I don't like it either. It's and someone has suggested that it's not social distancing we should do. It's physical distancing. Exactly. So we should still be social. 
And one very good uh, way to do that is, we, we know last week, Brian told us about the Skeptics in the Pub Online initiative in, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we have more information about that. Yay. Good. But for the first Skeptics in the Pub Online, you have to be quick because it's supposed to happen the, the same day as this episode comes out. So tonight, if you're listening now, the first day this comes out, <laughs> tonight <laughs> there will be a Skeptics in the Pub Online. And it's a very good one. It is the renowned quantum physicist Jim Al-Khalili. He will be holding a live lecture, which you can follow on Skeptics on the Pub online page on on, uh, on Facebook at uh, 7 p.m. UK time. So that's 8 p.m. for most of the rest of Europe. So unfortunately, the, the EXO board will, will meet uh, and, and Claire and Andras and myself are on the board. So we will, meet, we will miss this one. But uh, you guys listening can absolutely listen to it. Uh, the talk is called The World According to Physics. And, uh, and knowing how brilliant a communicator Jim Al-Khalili is, I'm sure it will be a great one. Oh, yeah. It's going to be done over Twitch. And uh, people who are new to that technology are asked to click on the link fi- 15 minutes before to get help to make sure that you sort out any technical issues. But it's very easy and you don't have to r- register anywhere. You just click the link and, 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 and th- then you're in, best case. So um, uh, there will be also an opportunity to ask questions over a chat window. And I'm sure it will be super. Uh, the plan is to have these events every Thursday going forward, uh, arranged by the UK skeptics. It's mostly the Merseyside skeptics uh, arranging that, but there's a lot of people also, including Brian Ego, uh, is is part of the big gang helping out doing this. And uh, I must say, uh, here in Sweden, we are trying to follow suit a little bit. So we have a similar event on the 16th of April, mm-hmm. although with a little less famous speaker, uh, namely yours truly. And it will be in English. Uh, sorry, it will not be in English. It will be in Swedish, I'm afraid. So, But I, I know we have a, a quite a few uh, Swedish listeners. And my talk will be called, in translation, how to know what is fake when all is uncertain. And so it, it'll be about the times we are living in now and uh, corona mm-hmm. uh, myths and fake things. And how can we identify what's fake when nobody really knows what's going on or not everything about what's going on? Uh, it'll be fun and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but again, it's in Swedish, so you may have to learn a new language in a week to follow that. But if you don't want to go do that, learn Swedish, I mean, <laughs> there are lots and lots of other initiatives popping up. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe will do a regular Q&A session every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's reasonable for us in Europe. Uh, it will begin uh, tomorrow as this goes out on Friday uh, after this uh, episode comes out and then there's not just skeptics you can follow online as an example we hear that the university of cordoba in spain will have a three-hour online event on the evening of uh, 17th of april about the science behind the pandemic Uh, i'm sure there's hundreds of other things uh, going on so uh, there's always something to tune into Mm -hmm. that sounds absolutely awesome Mm. Yeah, we we haven't set up our um, our online presence yet, but uh, yeah, tomorrow from the day of the recording, it's tomorrow. But from the day of the release of this episode, it's uh, it's a couple of days ago. 
I will be talking on the radio. Oh, very nice. Uh, yeah, we have a usual segment, our monthly Skeptics Corner uh, kind of thing uh, on one of the radio shows. It's it's not a, a government-run radio uh, channel, uh, as you might good, good for you. imagine. <laughs> it's considered the opposition channel. And uh, we have this regular segment there. And uh, I will be called up uh, on, on the telephone instead of going and sitting with the host in the studio, which I prefer. But uh, obviously, there are limitations as to what we can do. <laughs> but that, that's good, because when you get when you get in jail you can use your one phone call to use to uh, participate in that radio show right <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a good idea so the reason why i it came to my mind was uh, you mentioning that uh, you would be talking about uh, how to know what's real in these difficult times and that's exactly the topic of our oh really <laughs> our chat planned for tomorrow yeah so. i wonder what we if we will say the same thing but probably very similar but in different languages yeah <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. I've got four friends who've already learned Swedish to some extent, at least. So it can't be that difficult and that tough. I think it's very easy, oh. but... Okay. Yeah, it's easy for <laughs> yeah, it's easy for you. For me. Yeah, yeah. For me, Hungarian is easy. <laughs> but good luck. <laughs> All right. So I think we, since we've got uh, quite a packed episode for this week too, for some reason, COVID-19 gives us a lot to talk about as skeptics so i think it's time for us to move on and start the actual show with the first segment as usual being that of yelana's so yelana i hope you've got something for us that has happened on this week in skepticism i do have something that allegedly happened <laughs> allegedly <laughs> good that's a good skeptical yeah. start <laughs> i know right i thought it might be so this is what allegedly happened on uh, 12th of April in 1888. Um, there was a newspaper that apparently published a fake uh, obituary for Albert Nobel. And they called uh, uh, him in this obituary the merchant of death because he invented dynamite. Upon reading this obituary of himself, he was so horrified that people have this negative perception of him that he decided to devote the rest of his life and established the Nobel uh, Prize um, and uh, left a lot of his money um to this uh, foundation and um, to advance the science. Now, the reason why I started this segment by saying allegedly is because actually, even though this um, is mentioned on Wikipedia article, the sources for this little tale, which which is a very neat tale, I have to say, um, are not great. And um, there, I couldn't find the original article or the newspaper, uh, the 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 anything about the original newspaper, French newspaper, other than just the reference to this one thing or any other references. And I wanted to give a shout to our listeners to see if they have heard about this um, talked before, or if they know it's if it's a true statement or a, or a false statement, um, and um, if they can come back to us and say what they think. So. So, uh, but nevertheless, I mean, uh, whether that was the reason or one of the reasons why Nobel established his um, uh, Nobel Prize, uh, it was a great thing that he did. And it resulted in a lot of great people being rewarded for their cool inventions yeah, but, but, uh, and discoveries in science. 
among other things, it led to the science that led to the creation of the atom bomb. So, so go, merchant of death indeed, right? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a different conversation, I guess, uh, a different moral, <laughs> moral discussion we could have <laughs> about the whole of the science, I guess. But yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they're all all merchants of theirs, and then there's a lot of Hungarians involved in in uh, making the atomic atomic bomb. So they are all merchants of theirs, and they are being hated for it as well. Mm. So uh, I can I can I, I, it makes total sense that one would try to wash his his public image uh, and clear his public image that way, right? As as a mm. as a scientist, I don't know. Yeah. So, but uh, you you said that uh, the sources were not very great. So, what do you mean by that? Well, so uh, w- there were two um, sources on. on I'm, I'm, so, I'm talking about uh, Wikipedia. One of them is Britannica.com website, which I guess we, maybe we can trust hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know. As long but, as you um, trust and uh, encyclopedias in general. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but they uh, but they actually they uh, they actually not, not committal to this. They say they say and I quote: "We can only speculate about the reasons for Nobel's establishment of the prize that bear his names. He was uh, reticent about himself, and he can find in no one about his decision in the months preceded his actual death." Um, and then they also continue in that article um, I'm quoting from: "The most plausible assumption is that a bizarre incident in 1888." may have triggered the train of re- uh, reflection that culminated in his bequest for Nobel pri- uh, Prizes, end quote. Uh-huh. So, like, they they very non-committal. They just say, well, maybe maybe not. But but the, the thing about the obituary that was published, that is fact. That is science, right? That that, that happened. Um, or, or is that also in question? Um, well, I f- like, I found another article and i guess this is not particularly that's not a, a as widely quoted but it also it also has been linked in wikipedia article to a smithsonian'smag.com mm-hmm. uh, where um the author of the article refers to the fact that he couldn't find any more information about the actual newspaper where this uh-huh. um article was published in interesting or n- n- no name of the journalist or anything um it, so he speculates that it's just the tale like a very neat tale that people want to tell each other to to make it sound yeah but it's a good story so but <laughs> it is a good story it is a good story I... in his article he says that uh, legacy.com spoke to the noble foundation's Anika pontikis who suggested quote yes noble saw his obituary in advance and yes he was unhappy about what he read still it was probably not the only factor that influenced him to create a peace prize so i don't know but, but i think there is still a question if there was an obituary in the first place ah, okay. but anyway that's yeah. Yeah, but so some someone from the Nobel Foundation definitely th- thought that there was an obituary and uh. that Nobel Nobel read it in advance. Uh. So it's a weird, but it's it's really a cute story, anyhow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> huh? yeah, it is. It is. So and and I could totally see that. I mean, if you read something like this about yourself and you have this grand opinion about your work, and all of a sudden you call me <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes like, sense. I need to do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, my favorite thing about no- the Nobel Prizes is the noble disease or the noble's curse. Oh, yeah. I think that's a really interesting thing for us as skeptics to look at. It's when people who are lauded for their brilliance go a little cuckoo towards the yeah. end. Like yeah. Linus Pauling. Not all of them, though. No, 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 of course not. But a nice number of them. I mean, if you if you check out the Noble Disease page on Rational Wikipedia, you will find a nice list. And I especially love yeah. the one with Schrodinger because it has 
cruelty to cats. <laughs> <laughs> But of course, there's more than just him. It's a it's a nice list, and it's kind of just interesting to see and good to know. You know, when we talk about authorities and you know and experts, uh, just because someone gets a Nobel Prize doesn't mean they're right about everything for the rest of their lives. No. And just because yeah. we call ourselves skeptics, it doesn't mean we're right either. So, of course, of course. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, it's been said many, many times that just because we are skeptics, it doesn't mean that we are not susceptible to all those errors and mistakes that everyone makes. Mm-hmm. So, when we talk about the people who make mistakes and uh, and who have false ideas in their heads we're equally prone to that so we absolutely we're not immune to all that we yeah. we just try to correct for that by applying the rules of critical thinking and skepticism and the methods of science but we all have a blind spot and the problem with the blind spot is that you don't know what's in there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly hmm. okay well thank you very much Yelena. all right and let's move on to someone that we love bashing so pontus <laughs> Can you pop the Pope for us, please? I will bash him for you if you want to. <laughs> yes. Ah. <laughs> I have speculated several times on the show that Francis has made himself rather unpopular within certain powerful parts of the Catholic Church. Frankie is the first ever Jesuit Pope and the first with the pontifical name Francis to celebrate St. Francis of Assisi, who cared especially for the poor, and not all of the others in the church care so much for the poor as they, well, would like people to think. It doesn't resonate very well with conservative parts of the church, uh, especially in the mighty US, where Francis' uh, criticism of capitalism doesn't go down very well at all. There is a new book coming out on 15th of April uh, by a guy called Christopher Lamb and it is called The Outsider, Pope Francis and his battle to reform the Catholic Church. The book lays out a lot of evidence for Francis' unpopularity. Apart from the US clergy working to undermine Francis' authority, the book points to a very familiar name for us namely Cardinal Robert Sarah. Do you remember him? Oh, it's, it does ring a bell. But I've mentioned him before. Who was that? He is uh, the guy who recently co-wrote a book with old Benedict, the Pope Emeritus, who ah, resigned okay. and now and were supposed to be, quote-unquote, invisible to the world. But he's not. So instead, Benedict and Sarah together wrote a book in defense of celibacy, just as Francis was expected to come out in favor of relaxing the rules for the for the clergy in the Amazon region when it comes to celibacy. And a couple of weeks after the book was published, Francis ruled against the proposed celibacy regulations. So he he didn't want it's all yeah, down to politics. Yeah, all down to politics. <laughs> So, in this new book coming out in a week, the author uh, lays out example after example of how this Cardinal Robert Serra has systematically worked to undermine Francis' position and how he wants to turn back the clock on the Catholic Church. The, the author also makes the case that Serra has ambitions to be the next Pope, but I, I guess that must be speculation, I don't, uh, who, who knows. But it isn't just Serra. I quote the author here now in the new book worldly and clerical establishments whether from donald trump or fox news 
or conservative cardinals and an influential Catholic media network have been engaged in guerrilla warfare against this pontificate, end quote. So this is exciting stuff, and eventually we will see how good my prediction powers are, and we will see if a reactionary conservative pope will be Francis' successor eventually. And by that time, I would probably miss poor Frankie, stupid as he is sometimes. <laughs> but we're not there yet. Uh, we still have Francis as Pope. And last week I talked about how good old Popey was turning to medieval artifacts to save us from COVID-19. He was praying in front of two old objects that were used in the Dark Ages to try to protect everyone from the plague and other epidemics. Well, this has apparently struck a chord within the church and now others are imitating him. Archbishop Cesare Nosilia of Turin didn't hesitate to follow suit. Well, question for you guys, and I think you know this one. What old relic do they keep in Nusilia's hometown of Turin? The Shroud? The Shroud of Turin. You get points. The Shroud of Turin is something very familiar to, to, to most of us skeptics. It's supposed to be the shroud that was used to wrap Jesus' body after he died. And it has mysterious imprints that is claimed to show his body and facial features. It has been this demonstrated to be fake, uh, although a very old fake, probably dating back to the 13th or 14th century. The Catholic Church has not officially recognized uh, the shroud as genuine, but a few popes, including Francis back in 2015, have visited it and prayed before it in the past. So now the good Archbishop of Turin has uh, decided that the shroud will be on display between the 11th and the 17th of April. But on display, nobody's allowed to go out in Italy, right? So, yeah. so it will be displayed on TV and on social media <laughs> so that people can, I guess, kneel before the internet machine at their homes and, and pray before it. And I'm sure it will help just as much as the other magic that they do. Oh, wow. <laughs> the Shroud of Turin. Yeah. Well, it's all politics again. So even though the Shroud of Turin is not officially recognized, they do this. They do the same thing with other relics, like uh, the blood of San Gennaro yeah. uh, in Naples. Yeah. It's not officially recognized as um, a blood miracle, a liquefaction miracle by the Catholic Church. But the Pope visits yeah. the Domo whenever he's in naples yeah because it's an it's an official visit so yeah so much for not recognizing it as an official and they, they do uh, everything except <laughs> saying outright that it's genuine exactly mm. exactly mm. so they have to play the whole game for the congregation of course mm -hmm. uh they cannot deny that it's it's uh genuine ah whatever mm -hmm. okay well they they're not binded by scientific rules so easy on them oh, <laughs> quite easy they cheat yeah all right thank you very much pontus thank you for poking a pope once again and we are moving on to discussing what's new across europe i promise we're trying hard to bring you stuff that's not focusing on covid19 only but it's virtually impossible at this point uh 
all of us are affected and even though we, we occasionally need things that give our minds a little bit of time off there are so many new developments interesting new details and so much bullshit going on <laughs> that we feel obliged to talk about them every week tragically a couple of the days ago the overall case count passed one million and the spread of the disease now looks exponential Mm. Uh, with the numbers doubling in increasingly short periods of time currently uh, in about four or five days. Italy is not the country with the most confirmed cases anymore. The US is now leading the list with as many cases as the next three countries combined. Wow. I'm, I'm not going to talk about why the, that idiot in the driver's seat will be the topic of American Skeptical Podcasts, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and we have our own leaders and policies to worry about, like the, the little Napoleon I mentioned at the beginning of the show. <laughs> <laughs> the highest numbers of death are still happening in Italy and Spain, though, where uh, the, the number of tests performed is very high. 1% of the population in Italy have been tested wow. and 0.8% uh, of that of Spain. So they are pretty much at the at the higher numbers. There is a lot of debate over the, the policies regarding testing, uh, but it seems like it pays off to some extent. It's only worth being aware, however, when we couple all that with action. So the knowledge is one thing, but we have to couple it with action. And countries differ on that front massively. But again, their approach to testing is hugely different as well. As we gather more and more information about the details of this pandemic, though, there are new trends and connections that start to appear in front of us. The other day, Raffaella Vitali, whom we interviewed back on episode 11, mm. contacted me to draw my attention to a few Italian sources discussing the high death rate wow. the country is currently suffering. And we talk about that quite a lot. First of all, thank you very much for that, Raffaella. It's uh, it's it's been uh, very interesting to to look into that in more depth. Well, I have already mentioned that it must be down to a couple of factors that Italy has such a high death rate, but now it seems even more nuanced uh, with all that information uh, that Raffaella uh, uh, drew my attention to. The Italian Ministry of Health issues uh, a daily update on the current situation, but they seem to be very transparent about the details as well, especially when it comes to the counts regarding the deceased patients. So the average age of those who died is 78 years uh, in Italy, and the median age is 80. I don't know how aware everyone is of what the difference is, but the median means that 50% of deceased were 80 years old and above. On average, uh, women tend to live to much higher ages, but um, uh, most of these people uh, who died in Italy were men. But remember what I said earlier about the Hungarian government decided to count the death how they 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 do that with uh, those who had pre-existing conditions not being counted as the victims of the of the disease yeah right well the italians seem to be much more thorough about their approach to these statistics they have the percentages of those with pre-existing conditions measured as well and added to their statistical data according to their numbers 51.3% of the deceased patients had three or more different known conditions prior to their infection. Mm. More than half of them yeah. had three or more conditions. And 23.9% uh, had two 
known conditions, and 22.1% had one known illness other than COVID-19 in the time of their hospitalization. So this puts these numbers into a different perspective. Mm. As they seem to include everyone who contracted the disease and happened to die, even if the disease itself might have only provided a a last... Push over the edge. But not too gentle (laughs) push towards the grave, yes. As they put it, and I really like that distinction, uh, there are those who died from COVID-19 and those who died with COVID-19. COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the overall statistics, they all appear as its victims. So when we talk about how many people died in COVID-19 in Italy, they are all included in that. Yeah. Uh, whereas if we look at the, the, the death rates in Hungary, those people are not included in the statistics. Yeah, right. So this is how much difference there can be between countries uh, when it comes to the, the the statistics, so we have to be very careful and cautious as to how we interpret the data, especially when we compare. But but you can make a case for both, of course, because you can say, yeah, you don't know the ones with pre-existing conditions may not have died if they hadn't caught COVID nineteen as well. That's right. You don't know that. That's so, right. So yeah, yeah. But it's still a very important piece of information. Yeah, yeah. So we, you, you know that if someone has a pre-existing condition, then you definitely have to make sure that they don't get infected with the disease because Correct. otherwise they are in massive danger. But still, the country has the highest proportion of the population being above 65 years of age. So they are very vulnerable. 22.6% of the country's population is over 65 in Italy. So they are leading the, the charts. But all this doesn't mean that Italy is not the country in Europe that's, uh, that's worst hit by the pandemic, with Spain unfortunately being a, a close second. So this is when we need, a sti- need to stick together in Europe. Even the WHO warns that we need a closer cooperation among EU member states to face the crisis. Uh, There are nice gestures like a few German clinics taking patients from Italy and France, but we need a more structured approach. And yet EU leaders don't seem to be able to agree on how to handle the situation. The borders, the Schengen borders are now closed. That's one thing. A special fund has been um, opened up. Basically, what happened was there is uh, something that's called the European Stability Mechanism. And it was turned into some kind of a coronavirus emergency fund that will be distributed among the, the different countries. And this is especially something that uh, hits home to me, quite literally, because Orban, Orban's rhetorics uh, includes bashing the EU for not acting, and he wants to rationalize why he needed these special powers, because the EU got stuck in inaction. And uh, now that the EU leaders uh, criticize him for these steps... Now he says that they should be focusing on uh, tackling the problems and uh, fighting the disease and uh, not paying attention to what he's doing. So it all comes down to how politicians try to deal with the situation. But the EU leaders are frequently communicating with each other. They try to come up with uh, common solutions, but it's not really happening as of yet. Mm. But there are even burning questions like whether we should wear a face mask. 
the general public wants to know if they are safe if they wear a face mask and people are yeah this is this has become a very frequently used word hoarding uh the the shops for a face mask and there are controversial uh, reports as to whether it is good and it it provides any help but now there start to emerge a couple of uh, expert advices that uh, we can we can use and they seem to agree that now it's well established that uh, it can be very useful especially when we use it combined with frequent hand washing and uh, try to apply common sense uh, don't expect any magic to happen so don't expect that you can do whatever you want as long as you're wearing a face mask it's not the case the who even has instructions as to how to put them on uh wear and handle them but the emphasis seems to be on the need for frequent hand washing combined with the wearing of face masks yeah so they it appears now that even the data suggests that some kind of lower risk of spreading the disease comes with wearing face masks so if you can get your hands on face masks not quite literally because if you the the more you touch them <laughs> the worse they become in protecting you but yeah be careful how you give advice here now andros it can easily become wrong yeah but the but we will not be giving that advice ourselves uh, we will be providing the links to experts advising the public public so uh you will find them on the show notes so uh i'll start off our uh slight criticisms of various ways of how various governments are handling this crisis and our criticism will be mainly based on the non-science-based and non-evidence-based approaches that these governments are doing so to start off i will talk about israel Um, So, I don't know if uh, you know, but the Israel has Minister of Health, Yaakov Litzman, who is a chassid, which means that he belongs to the orthodox part of the Jewish faith. And uh, that's a bit strange in the combination of the posts that he holds, and he has gathered lots of criticism from uh, many Israelis. However, that's the case. And his belief is that, uh, uh, so his quote, direct quote is that we are praying and hoping that the Messiah will arrive before Passover, Mm -hmm. the time of our redemption. I am sure that the Messiah will come and bring us out as God has brought us out of Egypt. Hmm. So the interesting thing that's going on in regards to this is that uh, the Minister of Health has uh, has forbidden the gathering of groups uh, above 10 people. But that does not apply to religious services for some reason. Those can gather in uh, numbers of 20, according to a letter that was uh, in some internal directives that were in the police. Um, Then in the letter uh, or in the inner directive of the police, the police made uh, the comment that this was not in regards to regular religious services, but to religious services such as weddings and funerals. So the author of the story from Haaretz is making an uh, argument that you can clearly see that the Minister of Health, Litzman, is kind of applying the rules of social or physical distancing, if you prefer, to secular activities 
but religious activities are not being limited in the same way. After all, uh, the minister is waiting for a religious solution to a scientific problem. Yeah. No, I think I'm I'm, afraid, I'm surprised that he is giving such a testable claim here. He says the Messiah will come before Passover. That you know, what if that hasn't happened? He will be called out as he was wrong, right? And it was just a wish. Oh, he didn't say which <laughs> which Passover. It could be the one in three thousand years. But it was just uh, a wish. No, he said he was convinced that it would happen, right? Well, he yeah, said but, uh, he's praying. He's praying yeah. that it will come. Okay. So if he's um, if he's not coming, then it's just yeah, that yeah. The Maybe he didn't pray hard enough. Were not efficient. So yeah. Okay. So I just continue with here with the thought that it's interesting because according to Jewish law, human life is always put above any religious restriction, but uh, Litzman kind of ignores that uh, for the case of religious gar- uh, gatherings, even though it's quite clear that. Uh, you're not just you're not supposed to be getting into groups so you know it's not gonna come as any surprise to any of you but i'm gonna talk about cure for coronavirus that the belarusian president came up with Ooh. uh alexander lukashenko good old lukashenko <laughs> can't believe this well actually no i can't believe this this is a very typical <laughs> thing to say um so uh Belarus is a pretty big country, um, it's over 9 million people there. Um, when the article was published about his comments, that was six days ago. They had 100 cases, no deaths. That was six days ago. Now they have 562 cases, eight people died. Mm. So the picture is changing very rapidly. So I think um, he should revise his comments. But basically he said, nothing to worry about, no panic. There is no close down in the country. And he knows the best cure for coronavirus. And it is uh, vodka, <laughs> sauna and sports. <laughs> so you, what you do, you take sauna a couple of times a week. And then after sauna, you take 100 milligrams of vodka. You also wash your hands with vodka. It's all about vodka, really. It's all about vodka. Yeah, yeah. It really sounds like uh, that. And um, <laughs> yeah, and he's also a very avid fan of playing sports. So he's um, he's actually been uh, playing uh, hockey and uh, he loves it. He said nothing will stop him from doing that. The uh, sports events are still going on in Belarus as if nothing happening. And uh, people are being checked on the entry uh, just to see if they have temperature. But that's that's as, as far as the measures of precaution has gone in that country. Okay. Hmm. So this is going to be a very cautionary tale. Uh, let's check back with Belarus in two to three weeks and see how they oh, yeah. go. Yeah. But Lukashenko is not ringing any alarm bells. And in fact, he says, and I quote from the article, there shouldn't be any panic. You just have to work, especially now in a village. Tractors will cure everyone. The field heals oh, everyone. Oh, wow. End quote. Yeah, go out on the field and, and do, do your job. Oh, my God. Okay, well, so there's there's all sorts of things that will heal you. Tractors, vodka, <laughs> yeah. sauna, just, yeah, don't panic. Yeah, you, ne- you need all the crops to pro- produce vodka. Come on. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this will be the only country where it's not toilet paper that people hoard. It's vodka because that's what helps. Oh, they, they, they always do. Yeah, they I don't they already do need, that, yeah. They, they don't need coronavirus for that. Yeah, so it's just business as usual. <laughs> yeah, not, not only they hoard, but a lot of them produce their own. So it's an interesting... Uh, yeah, so let's, 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 watch, let's watch the development in Belarus and see how that goes. Um, wow. I am looking at the stats um, now and the case is increased by 27.7% from yesterday. 
Wow. If if they continue increasing yeah. like this, they'll be doubling every week. So yeah. as as everywhere else. Yeah. I don't know why they thought they're special. They probably started a bit later, but uh sooner or later with with a virus uh that has such a large basic reproduction rate that the the new coronavirus does, it's just a matter of time as to when it starts to become an epidemic so it probably started a bit later for belarus because because it's a quite a closed border country for like tourism it's not very big on tourism because for for europeans most of it most europeans belarus is basically closed so they don't want (laughs) nobody wants to go there if we want to we don't we we don't go to northern russian places where we usually have tours through belarus because it's too complicated to include Belarus in the itinerary. So um, I have a feeling that it's not very big on tourism. So this is this is why probably they got it a bit later. But uh, obviously, uh, planes f- flew into uh, the country. Minsk is the capital, right? That's right. So a lot of lot of planes flew into Minsk, probably bringing in the coronavirus. Uh, it was just a matter of time. All right. I mean, if if vodka can cure uh, COVID, I, I mean, I'm I'm only all up for it. Well, we'll see. Alcohol is good, I've heard, but you're supposed to have it on your hands. Yeah, and right? yeah, I think <laughs> the only alcoholic beverage that can help you with that is probably absinthe. Yeah, because that has the high enough alcohol percentage. Well. It depends on the type of absence. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, we have too much absence at home, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, our government had to issue an official statement that drinking Slovitz, which is like a plum distillate, does not prevent you from having coronavirus. So it's like a plum palinka, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, at like 70-80% depending on yeah, yeah, who exactly. makes it. Yeah, exactly. Strohum is 80% as well. So. <laughs> okay, so... Don't take the advice of Lukashenko, people. That's that's the take-home message here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Just right. like every politician, he doesn't know anything. <laughs> well, there are a couple. You can like drink the vodka and go to the sauna, but you also have to follow everything else. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't want to wander off too much to uh, very distant countries. But this morning, I started my morning with uh, the video of Jacinda um, uh, Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. In New Zealand. And her approach was amazing. That woman is so amazing. The basic thing that she said was, why don't we make a couple of calls from here through the video to experts? Because who are the best people to consult in the times of times like this than the experts? And then she started calling different experts while uh, producing the video. So... Wow. That's how you do it, people. <laughs> That's how you do it. Yeah. That's yeah. how you build. We should all move to New Zealand, I think. Yeah, they would love that, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so I have another story, a new short story from listener Bob, who is kind enough to send us tips from time to time. So thanks a lot, Bob. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, even, no, not even Bob himself was quite sure if it was worth mentioning this, but, but I think it is, and I'll come back to why. As we know, Prince Charles of uh, Great Britain has been diagnosed with COVID-19 and he has gone into self-quarantine. He has quote-unquote been working from home. Although I'm not very sure what a prince does these days. But I'm, I'm, sure, he, I'm sure he keeps himself busy somehow. <laughs> Counting his sheep. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe. But he's now feeling well again, uh, but still maintains his isolation just in case, like any good prince should do. The new part of this story begins with the minister of Ayush, no less, and that is the Indian ministry of Ayurveda, Yoga, Naturopathy, Unani, Siddha and Homeopathy. We've heard about this Indian ministry before uh, when they recommended traditional unproven nonsense against COVID-19 a couple of weeks ago. And now they're at it again. The minister of Ayush, a certain Sripad Naik, has come out and said that Prince Charles has recovered thanks to using Ayurvedic and homeopathic remedies. And with our knowledge about uh, Prince Charles being a local advocate, as he is, of at least homeopathy, the claim that he has used these things against his illness doesn't seem too crazy. And many skeptics may lean back and say, yeah, I'm sure he did. What a stupid prince person he is and ha ha ha, just like him. But one should be careful of such assumptions, especially if it confirms what you think that you know. Because the office of Prince Charles actually has gone out to debunk the whole thing, saying that the minister's statement was not true. So the reason I bring this up is that there is a lesson here. I No, don't believe what you hear just because it confirms your own biases. Whether Prince Charles did take homeopathic sugar pills or not against his COVID-19, at least officially, he does not claim that it was that that cured him. I mean, he still is a stupid prince person, but in this case, at least, he's not spreading homeopathic misinformation. He'll get back to doing that very soon, I I think, but uh, now that he feels better. But uh, the story as such was fake. Yep, it really looks like that. (laughs) And fake stories are a big problem. And uh, this is why governments should be stepping in and providing good information, reliable information, information that's based on scientific findings in order to uh, inform the public properly. And staying in the UK, we seem to have at least one big organisation that make tries to make sure that things are kept in order in that regard, and that is Sense About Science. And Sense About Science published an open letter to the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, who, when this whole thing started and they brought the country to a lockdown, he issued a statement that uh, as of now they they don't have a specific approach to this uh, crisis uh, but as the situation develops and as uh, the the science shows a clear path to go down on uh, they will be following that path the, but the problem is that it seems like there are massive issues with testing uh, there are delays in the testing there are shortages of equipment there are controversial information, pieces of information uh, being published about why that is the case, how the the NHS, the National Health Service, is doing. And uh, people are getting nervous. They don't know what to expect. So the open letter, uh, initiated by Sense About Science, basically calls for better transparency and uh, publications of the evolving testing plans as it was announced by the government earlier. And they mention how important it is for the government to be on top of things, to 
be on the ready for people people's questions uh, with reliable information. And they specifically mention that the government, and I quote, cannot clamp down on misinformation without substituting information in its place. And I think all of our skeptics can agree with that a hundred percent. And the good thing about that is uh, that this call was joined by many, many different uh, institutions of universe, some university institutions, some large charitable organizations, the Center for Evidence-Based Medicine, for example, uh, the Independent Cancer Patients Voices, uh, the Kidney Cancer Support Network, uh, and many individuals uh, of uh, high esteem uh, all over the country. So if someone from the UK listening to this would like to join this initiative, this call uh, for transparency uh, on the evolving testing situation, then uh, you can send an email to hello at senseaboutscience.org with your name and uh, description of your title and and everything, and they can add you to the the online list of uh, signatories. So this open letter was sent to Boris Johnson and... I haven't seen any reaction to that from the government, but the list of uh, the signatories is really uh, growing. So if you want to add your name and you're situated in the UK, uh, please go to their website, which we'll link to on the show notes. So the Corona Times have moved us all into the world of cyber, into the world of the internet for the biggest percent of our uh, communications. And because of that, uh, there have been individuals who have decided to exploit that. So currently we're facing two main problems because of that. One is that lots of people are afraid of what's, uh, what's going on about getting the right information and they open emails with subjects that seem relevant to what's going on. Unfortunately, lots of these emails are either fish, uh, phishing emails or phishing attacks, or they are spoofs, which means that they pretend to be from an actual organization, but they're not. But they do contain some kind of malware or a way to hack into your computer, to steal your data, to uh, just infect your computer with all kinds of nasty things. So... It's always good to be on the careful side when opening an email from an unknown party, but now you have to be very, very, very extra careful because they do depend on you being mainly using your computer the whole day and uh, they do depend on you being tired from the influx of information as the, as the WHO calls it from the infodemic. So... I know it's exhausting, all this fact-checking all the time. It's just the kind of information fatigue from this. But we really need to do that. We really need to be careful. And do not open emails from people you don't know. And be even careful with opening emails from uh, sources that kind of look like they could be real, unless you are sure there are. And do not click on any links. Unless they promise you a million dollars, of course. Oh, or they promise you women in your area who want to sleep with you. But, you know, ah. those, are the, those are the two main things. Well, talking about <laughs> women who want to sleep with you, 
that's kind of the segue into the next problem. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> do you really? Do you really want to? <laughs> <laughs> and that is issue with Zoom. Uh, to be ah. perfectly honest, I've never heard of Zoom before the time of Corona, so it's been educational all ways around. So it's a service that helps companies and uh, schools uh, connect with uh, their employees or their students. Uh, you can use it for meetings. You can use use it for teaching. And unlike apps like Skype or Signal or WhatsApp, Teams. It gives the employer or the teacher information about students or employees being in the teaching window or, or being in the communication window. The second, uh, if you if you leave your communication window for more than thirty seconds, your employer or teacher gets in kind of some kind of alert. So this interface, going back to the idea of uh, of sex, is being hacked and uh, sometimes hackers do play porn clips. Uh, or they use it uh, to play music or to disrupt what's going on one way or another. And, of course, they also... The whole problem with Zoom as a platform, all it's on its own, it does kind of somehow download some uh, secret malware onto your computer through which it can access your webcam and your microphone. So... In general, if you can choose, make sure that your company or your school or your friends do not use this platform because it really is not safe. Uh, there has been also an issue with uh, selling user data, but Zoom explained that they're not selling it. Of course they're not. And they did not exactly say that, but it seems but it seems from what they say, it's not that they're selling it. It's more that they're not being careful enough that it cannot be accessed in some other way. So, yeah, just... Zoom out of Zoom. Zoom out of Zoom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I want to talk about the Flying Unicorn Award from our friends at Concept. They uh, have announced um, Flying Unicorn Award 2019. On the fir- they always do it on the 1st of April, so that happened last week, if you think about when our episode is out. Um, they will be actually opening uh, the Unicorn Award 2020 shortly. And people can go ahead and vote. Um, you can actually keep uh, keep on top of that on their website, which is concept.org. Anyways, uh, for this year, for 2019 Unicorn Award, I will go through the three uh, categories and the winners that they have announced. So the first one was given to Radio Television Network of Portugal, Provedor do Espectador da RTP. Yes. Sounds lovely. Because they uh, promoted uh, some pseudoscientific topics and be- they essentially became the um, facilitators of pseudoscience by transmitting and popularizing some very questionable programs. So they got the first one. The second one was a category was the Naked King. This category was for all who make a, who contribute into spreading the dubious allegations without the evidence. And the um, category Naked King go went to pharmacies pharmacies of Portugal mm. because they continue to sell homeopathic uh, medications medications in inverted commas uh, despite the full knowledge that homeopathic remedies do not work mm. they're not med- medications or medicines right. so uh, but the public felt strongly that they have to be rewarded with this price 
hopefully that will change with time as more and more evidence comes out. And the last category is the category Don Quixote for the most um, outrageous statement or theory and for the refusal to face reality and for defending the indefensible. And uh, the Don Quixote category was uh, won by Manuel Pinto Coelho, who is already known uh, among doctors and scientists for uh, publicizing health-related misinformation. He was recommending drinking seawater as a beneficial to your health, apparently. I wonder if he actually advocated for seawater to be a good coronavirus medicine, uh, remedy as well. But anyway, that's um, digressing. He actually also cited that um, for, for some reason, that's I don't know, that's a very random uh, thing to say on a program, that nobody in America cares about cholesterol um, and other claims, which which is not true. So he just makes basically shit up and he got this prize. And the, these are the three categories and the, the winners. Let's um, let's watch out for the next year. Mm. All right. More Corona nonsense. I'm sure many of our listeners has heard rumors about 5G, the, no, the new mobile system. It's killing us. It's not all. Yeah, it's killing us uh, because it sends out very dangerous radiation to actually kill us, everybody. That is, of course, not the case at all, since that kind of radiation in 5G is not ionizing radiation and it has no impact on the human anatomy at all, except that in extreme cases it may feel a little bit warm to the skin. But warm is not dangerous, people. But of course, all conspiracy theories come together and can be combined into new versions. So now that we're living with a pandemic that people want to know everything about, new ideas have come up that combines 5G mystery thinking with the COVID-19 disease. Some people believe that the two are linked in some ways, either that the virus is artificial and programmed to be activated by the ongoing full-scale tests of 5G transmissions right now, or even that there is no virus at all, and that the reason for people falling ill is in fact due to 5G radiation. It has gone so far that telecom engineers are reporting that they are getting verbal and even physical threats. At least one UK anti-5G group on Facebook has been banned because it encouraged people to vandalize 5G equipment and post pictures of themselves doing so. And now that's the kind of thinking that is suspected to be linked to a 5G mast in Birmingham that seems to have been deliberately put on fire late last week. And if that's the case... It's not just utter stupidity and a destruction of property, but it's also a real danger to people's lives. Because knocking out a cell tower like this doesn't only stop 5G, but all mobile communication from that mast, which makes it more difficult to call for help if you need medical attention, whether it is caused by uh, COVID-19 or not. So uh, this is another case that shows how misinformation and conspiracy theories are a danger to society. And what's the harm? Indeed, here is a clear example. Yeah, it's it's great that, that people want to do something, but uh, please think before that and mm. ask as experts. But the problem is that with conspiracy thinking, the, the experts are not being trusted. No, the experts are the enemies, exactly. right? Exactly. So no matter... And, and even if I try telling people 
that uh, 5G is just the fifth generation of transmission technology. And it's mostly mostly uh, will be used for data, and it will be much more efficient than the than the rest. That means that even smaller energy yes. uh, transfer will be uh, enough to a larger data transfer. So the efficiency is so good of the five G technology that the the actual radiation that you will be exposed to is supposed to be even smaller than with 4G because it's much more efficient. It doesn't use that much energy. So that means that if you're uh, exposed to that radiation provided by the phone or the tower, it's much smaller. Mm. So shut the fuck up, stay home, (laughs) and don't fall for conspiracy theories, please. And there are organizations that do that, that help people uh, with regards to misinformation and and all that weird stuff uh, making the rounds uh, all over the internet. And one of those uh, organizations is GVOP, which is the German uh, skeptical organization. And on their website, they specifically put up a list of myths related to COVID-19. So if you go to their website, which we will link to on the show notes, you will find a lot of different widely circulating myths that uh, that are debunked or proper information is provided by GVP in German. So only visit the site if you speak German. Otherwise, well, with German language, uh, Google Translate can get confused at times, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, German is not easy. So, oh, by the way, are you guys prepared for the Wurstkäse scenario? <laughs> <laughs> okay. With regards to COVID-19? Yeah. So all we need is a sausage and some cheese. Mm. Yeah. That is the Wurstkäse scenario. Of course. Anyhow, thank you. <laughs> we are moving on to the next segment. I can't wait to hear who's been really wrong lately. There are lots of rumours, of course, about the pandemic, we know that, and often with the purpose of spreading mistrust and fear among the public, and also, of course, from the alternative right. Uh, We try not to take too much of a political stand here at the ESP, but I think there's no secret that we have in the past criticised certain conservative right-wing parties or organisations, and we can do that when their ideas are undemocratic or outright lies. There is a website very closely linked to the Swedish Democrats here in Sweden, even if the party has tried to distance distance themselves from it. But the truth is that many individuals behind that website are closely linked to individuals in the party leadership, so it's hard for them to really claim that they are not part of the same movement. The website is called Samhällsnytt, which roughly translates into society news. Pretty big and popular site, especially uh, with the close to 25%, goddammit, of the voters who now say they sympathize with the Sweden Democrats. Jesus Christ. I was shocked when it passed 10%, but that was a long time ago now. Anyway. Uh, This is a couple of weeks ago now, but the website published a story about how the Swedish health authorities have created what they call death forms, 
which supposedly are forms that the doctors fill in at the hospital to decide who they are going to let live or who they are going to let die and, and not give any treatments to. Of course, it is all a lot of baloney. What this stupid website is on about is the system of triage that has been used, always been used really, by hospitals to decide how to prioritize patients for certain treatments. This is quite natural and not at all sinister. You make a first assessment of each patient when they arrive to decide how urgently they need tr treatment and sometimes they actually do send people home without treatment. But this is not death forms. This doesn't mean that they refuse to treat seriously ill people and decide to let them die. On the contrary, the patients that have to wait or even are sent home, these are the patients that that need treatment the least. Seriously ill patients are of course put first in line for treatment and have the shortest waiting time to get treated. So it's the, exactly the opposite of what these uh, stupid nut jobs are claiming. Craziness. Yeah. I had, like, uh, for me, it's interesting to see uh, what the pro life movement is doing currently. Uh, mm. You know, they also belong under the, under the alt right. And yes. uh, I don't know about the Swedish or the Hungarian uh, efforts of the pro-life community, but in uh, Czechia, they are offering women 50,000 crowns, so about 2,000 euro, for not having an abortion right now. Do they know that raising a kid costs about 100,000 euro? Oh, no, they like, I, I, uh, one of my colleagues uh, who is amazing in discussing this with them, she, I mean, she uses language I haven't even heard of. Uh, <laughs> so she says, like, you know, it's about like a million crowns. So 50,000 is that what I give them. So a million crowns, what it costs. And, and they yeah. corrected her and they said, no, it's about three and a half million crowns. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So can I get, get some help with that instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, stupidness. As if you could even value this in money. But, uh, yeah. oh, crazy. Yeah, you would know. Yeah. Out of, the th out of the four of us. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to think about how much money my I've put into my kids. I hope they really take care of me when I grow old. Because I deserve it. But So like now? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, to, to wrap this up. For being either too stupid to understand what triage is, or, which is more likely, deliberately trying to spread fear and mistrust among the public... The webpage Samelsnut gets today's prize for being really wrong. I'm sure there are similar examples in, in other countries as well. Well, but it's 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 mm. good to put up one example so that people can learn from it. Yeah. By the way, it's a good thing that uh, at least uh, there were, there have been a couple of things that were not linked specifically to uh, COVID nineteen. So. Before we go and before we do, we move on to the, the last moment, I'd like to mention again that we know that it must be a little bit tiring for everyone to hear, even from this show, only about COVID-19 and mostly about COVID-19. But we would like to know what you think of our coverage of the situation. And this is the time when we really need your help in finding other topics, other things that that skeptics across Europe and around, all around Europe would like to probably like to hear about uh, because we don't necessarily know what's going on in different countries across Europe where we don't speak the language, we don't read news outlets, 
in their original form. So please get in touch. Please let us know what's going on in your country that is probably not related to uh, COVID-19. If it is related to COVID-19 and you think it's worth mentioning because it adds something to the overall picture, please do so. So please get in touch. Please let us know what you think. Please help us uh, find uh, different topics from all over Europe. Yes, you can do that by emailing us info at the esp.eu um, you can also find us on twitter uh, our twitter handle is espodcast underscore eu find us on facebook send us message or just go to our website and the website is theesp.eu yes where you can find the, the fantastic calendar that we try to maintain even in those these days when Actually, a lot of the things we put on there it has a label called cancelled. But as we said in the beginning of this episode, uh, there's a lot of online things happening now and more and more is coming and we'll put them in as well. So go there and have a look. And if you like what we're doing, please go to patreon.com slash the ESP and see what you can do uh, by supporting us. It's... We understand a lot of people have a tough time uh, right now, but if you can spare something, we really appreciate it. Yes, that's right. But also, before we go, I wanted to ask you, Claire, you are the president of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations. So anything exciting that's uh, going on? Anything exciting that uh, our listeners uh, should be keeping an eye out for um, that's coming in the future for the European Skeptics Movement? Well, <laughs> like not in the following months now, is there? But uh, okay, so we're trying to, we're trying our best to provide more content onto the, our European uh, Skeptics website. Uh, we're currently working on having more articles there for you guys to read, expanding the authors that we feature. And uh, I hope that in the future we will meet uh, again at the European Skeptics Congress and even in the further future at the World Skeptics Congress. But that will still probably be some time off. So we don't know many details as of yet, but when should our listeners expect the next European Skeptics Congress to happen? Originally, we were planning to hold on with uh, the schedule of 2021, but that is looking less and less likely by the day. So uh, you can expect the next European Skeptics Congress to be in 2022, sometime in the spring. And we hope... Oh, okay. And we hope uh, the World Skeptics Congress will be either in the fall of 2022 or in the spring of 2023. We really want to have more events and do more cool stuff. Unfortunately, because of the current limitations, we can't really congregate. But we'll try to make it up with uh, our content online. All right. I think that is uh, a lot to look forward to. Uh, but... I think we should wrap up this episode. And the best way to do that is with a quote. Yelena, have you got one for us? I do indeed. I have a quote from um, an English-born American political activist, philosopher, 
political theorist and revolutionary Thomas Paine. He said, Mm -hmm. I have always strenuously supported the right of every man to his own opinion, however different that opinion might be to mine. He who denies to another this right makes a slave of himself to his present opinion because he precludes himself the right of changing it. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's like the basics Mm. of science. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much for that. Well... Uh, thank all of you. I'd like to thank all of you guys thank for you. joining me thank today. You. Thank you. Especially Claire, uh, who's not a regular uh, host of this show, but uh, who knows what the future holds. Uh, but uh, it was great to have you back. Thank you so much. And uh, by the way, one more thing. If you guys want to do a little bit something different uh, for your buddies and friends uh, in the current times that are not related to medical health, if unless you're able to provide it, um, there's been a movement of reading stories and poetry and books out loud to each other online. So if you can <laughs> film yourself reading something cool that you enjoy and share that with the rest of the world, it doesn't matter how bad you are at reading. Just give it a try and share your favorite literature with others. Oh, that's good. Uh, uh, do you Ooh. do you suggest we do that in our own language? Yeah, do that in your own language, in English, in French, in... Uh... Nice. In a language that you can speak, of course. That would be better. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. Sure, but yeah. I you mean... You could give it a try, but... Yeah, 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 so I wouldn't try to do it in Finnish. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or for comedic effect, you could do it in a yeah. foreign language. So yeah. if if you can't uh, if you cannot provide medical help, if you're a little bit tired from listening to all the science around COVID, you can always escape to the wonderful world of literature and just give it a go. Ooh. All right. Or right. or watch endless makeup tutorials. Or that. Or just don't stand up from in front of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and watch pandemic yeah yeah no i had to say that the i only admitted to not liking tiger king after a friend of mine who's a marine admitted to not liking tiger king i did not have the bravery to admit that beforehand <laughs> <laughs> i want to say on the record i will not be watching the tiger king me too I just watched like me uh, no. 10 minutes of the first episode to make an opinion, but yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, thank you very much, guys. <laughs> and th- thanks very much to our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next time, goodbye. Paka, paka. Hello. Please, papa. Wish Wash your hands. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. 
I will bash him for you if you want to. Yes. <laughs> ah, the bishop. Yeah, no, no, the, no. No, no, that's it. No, that's Brian. It's not that's me. Brian bashing the bishop. Yeah. I have never bashed a bishop. No, no. With the sexy <clears throat> remedy. <What>? Um. <laughs> so Claire f- fell off the couch there. No. Yalana was supposed to come next. Then I don't have any story from Bob yet. <laughs> I will do that later then. <laughs> Sorry. I, my, I have the wrong glasses on, I think. Okay. Not I'm not saying I'm being helpful. I'm just... I'm just... <laughs> oh, no. RTP is also the Radio and Television Association in Portugal. Boom, boom, da, bam, boom. Well... Yeah.